you know, I'm, I'm a pretty big believer that when you give a lot to others, when you take a more selfless view on, on how you lead and how you engage others, that it gets paid back tenfold. Welcome to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering. In this podcast, Vince Menzione, a proven industry sales and partner executive, brings together technology leaders in this forum to discuss transformational trends and to deconstruct successful strategies to thrive and survive in the rapid age of cloud transformation. And now your host, Vince Menzione. Welcome or welcome back to The Ultimate Guide to Partnering. I'm Vince Benzion, your host. And for this episode of the podcast, I was pleased to welcome Phil Sorgen, the Chief Revenue Officer of RingCentral and a former Microsoft Corporate Vice President. I've known Phil for many years, and it was great to have him as a guest to learn more about RingCentral. And partners have played a critical role throughout his career, including his role as Microsoft's Channel Chief. In this episode, you'll learn more about RingCentral's value, the role they play in the rapid transformation we are seeing, the role of partners in their business, and why customers and partners choose RingCentral. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I enjoyed spending time with Phil Sorgen. Phil, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Vince. It's great to be here. It is really great to have you as a guest on Ultimate Guide to Partnering. You and I had the opportunity to work together when you led SMSMP, and that was, <laughs> seems like 100 years ago, and you served as channel chief at Microsoft. You joined RingCentral in mid-2020, and your organization has a great value proposition. I'm looking forward to this discussion today, so welcome. Thank you. It's, uh, it's great to connect again, and it does seem like uh, so long ago, but hey, time flies when you're having fun, right? It absolutely does. And we don't even call it SMSMP any longer, right? And no, I think for I, I, that, that was, a, that was at least two transformations <laughs> ago for Microsoft. And I think for a brief period when you were transitioning to channel chief, I think I, you were my skip level, in fact, for a very short period of time there. Yeah. Yep. Uh, those were like, I, it, it was really right at the very beginning of the discussions around digital transformation, the, the true, not that cloud didn't exist. It's existed far beyond before that, but, but it really started becoming mainstream at that point in time, not only for Microsoft, but for many companies. Yeah. And we were trying to help the partners along the way at that point, right? We were trying to help them pivot. That was a tough, those were some tough conversations back then. Yeah. So for our listeners who might not know about you and your organization, I was hoping you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about your company, its focus, and how it's evolved over the years. Thanks. I'd be happy to. You know, I've been here eight months, and it's actually a pretty cool story. I, I always say when you have a founder who put his heart into a business, and then 20 years later, it's achieving tremendous market success, and he's still the CEO and, and chairman of the company, that's always a pretty cool story story. But Vlad Shmunis uh, founded RingCentral with the idea of using the power of cloud technologies to really, I'd say, reimagine business communications. The company's vision was to deliver a customer-first solution that met the needs of you know, the rapidly changing business environment that we're all seeing out in the market today. 
Ring Central's platform, our core set of products, enables our customers' workforce to communicate, collaborate, and connect from anywhere on any device. That's effectively the message. And our focus is often when we go into customers, it's to live, to deliver flexible and cost-effective solutions that really disrupt the business of their legacy on-premise phone systems, which are really expensive to maintain. They're not agile. They're not built for um, the flexibility that companies uh, need today. And, and we bring together a, like a single intuitive platform for voice, video, messaging, collaboration, contact center. And today we're the number one cloud communications provider used by over 350,000 businesses worldwide. Wow, that's astounding. And you know, you're at the heart of this growth market, this transformation we've all been seeing, experiencing almost a year now. You know, a competitor, Zoom, went from a startup to being a verb last year. Teams is on the rise, I think 115 million active users. What is Ring Central's unique place in the market? You talked about ubiquity across devices and maybe a, a broader set of competencies in the market. Where are you known and what, what is your unique place there? Yeah, it's an interesting question. You know, I'd suggest that what makes us unique is that we didn't grow over the last year on a single secular trend. The pandemic exacerbated a need for companies to enable their employees to communicate and collaborate more effectively, to be more mobile, and to be more data-driven. I, I, like I've had so many conversations with companies on those points. And it's not just one part of our platform. Our value proposition across messaging, video, and phone is really at the heart of helping, helping companies achieve that. And the way we set it up, the, the speed of implementation, the simplicity in onboarding, that brings speed to organizations to realize those benefits. And I think it's that combination of, a, of an integrated, simple platform that really addresses at the heart of helping, uh, helping companies be more mobile and communicate and collaborate more effectively. Are there specific markets where you're seeing the most growth? Well, the pandemic's probably accelerated every company's digital transformation by five years. It, you know, I read a number of things in the industry where people have talked about the last seven or eight months has looked like five years of transformation that companies um, go to. And in that sense, it's definitely been a tailwind for us. But, you know, as I mentioned a, a moment ago, I, we don't think everything was fully driven by the pandemic and the need for work from home. In fact, we really think we're a work from anywhere company, and that will be the most important thing as we get through the pandemic in the next 12 months. So when you ask what markets, I think of any market that is facing an employee base that, is, that needs the flexibility to work from anywhere and to be effective across all the different communication modes from messaging to video to voice, and those even need to move, you know, sometimes you even have to move between it. You started a conversation as voice, and then you determined it would be more effective to share and have a video discussion to do that in the context of a single, a single call or a single communication is really powerful. I think about telephony in that comment. Am I right in maybe presuming 
that the telephony link is an area of differentiation for you and for Ring Central? Well, for sure, and and one of the and one of the aspects of that makes our our solution so simple for a customer is, is we're actually a carrier, and as a result, we can provide the end to end solution, inclusive of porting numbers and everything else, without them having to be, if you will, a contractor of all the pieces to bring a communication system together. And some of that's very complex, from what I understand. Is that not, for sure? Not, yeah. And, and it's, it's not surprising why in this space, if you look at companies, we have from small businesses to extremely large enterprises, but many small businesses made the move first because they didn't have fully built out and they didn't have, and they couldn't, didn't have the, the capacity to manage large PBX on-premise, you know, the complexity of those systems, plus all of the third parties that potentially have to work with around it. So they've moved fastest, but it's definitely something that is that companies of all sizes and, and truly uh, across the globe are, are looking at and moving quickly too. So you're the chief revenue officer of RingCentral. Can you tell us a little bit more about your role and your mission in that role? Yeah, and I, in, in effect, I'm responsible for go-to-market at Ring Central, and which I have the customer segment. So we have an SMB segment and an enterprise segment. I have a channel chief who works for me who runs the broad channel. Then we've made some significant announcements in terms of strategic partnerships over the really over the last little over a year. And those partnerships are quite large scale. Those report to me. We've stood up a global service provider business unit because our Ring Central's solution also powers other companies' solutions. That's the the essence of our strategic partnerships. And we're also doing that with companies like AT&T, TELUS, British Telecom, or BT. We recently announced Vodafone is a is a broad partner that's taking us to 14 countries in Europe. And then the last group that reports to me is our ISV group, which really works on integrations. It's important for our customers that we have, that live in a world of heterogeneous computing, we're providing the right integrations into the platforms they use. And examples of that would be like Salesforce.com, Microsoft Teams or, or Outlook. Slack are examples. And then we also have many companies, thousands of developers that write to our open platform. We have an open API environment. So we help them integrate their solution into our platform. So partnership is really at the core of your go-to-market strategy is what I'm hearing here. Very, very much so. I mean, we, we, we ensure that not only are we establishing partners, and that's been one of the biggest growth areas of our go-to-market, when you think of just uh, introducing um, the, the global service provider business unit less than a year ago, the strategic partnerships we've named, but even with a direct sales force, we make sure there's absolute synergy between our our sales teams and the and the channel that we built. You and I both know that's critical to a successful channel model. Absolutely, absolutely. And we're going to ask a couple of questions with regards to partnering specifically, but I'm still interested in learning more about what you're seeing now with the transformation. Like what are you seeing customers more willing to do now today than a year ago? You know, I think the thing that is more prevalent today than a year ago is really in in terms of speed. You know, I don't think that there's I could point to a single 
I'll say capability in the market, whether it's cloud platform, infrastructure, SaaS, and the many solutions from line of business to, I'll call them more infrastructure-like, it's not about capability. I remember for the last five or six years, I would talk about digital transformation. And I would have this discussion about, we came out of a decade where big ate small, in the market. So if you were really large, you had this amazing advantage in the marketplace. And then all of a sudden this paradigm of cloud came in and it changed it changed economics, it changed business models, it changed route to market, it changed speed of development, and all of a sudden we got into this era where fast eats big and every company realized that speed matters. And that you had to think differently and you had to growth hack and and stand up solutions more quickly, you had to be faster to be competitive. And I see companies much more willing to be faster today than even they were a year ago, and that was already accelerating. Yeah, and they're making decisions to your point, like fast means that I'm more, you know, more capable, right? So people are making decisions on, I want the best solution. It doesn't have to be the biggest solution, right? It That's doesn't right. have to be. And what you're seeing too, and I've had Jay McBain on the podcast talking about what we're seeing in the channel ecosystem as well, is that the cobbling together of multiple solution sets, right? So this, this real need for multiple vendors to come together to complete a solution for your customers. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So what exciting plans or announcements are in store for Ring Central in 2021? And can you share that with our listeners? I, you know, we'll continue to invest in rapid innovation across um, all those platforms or those pillars, I should call it, of messaging, video, and phone. That certainly won't slow down in 2021. While it'll be hard to top 2020 in terms of adding strategic uh, partners in general, I'll say that we expect more on that front, which is a validation of our platform as the best pl platform for many companies to power their go-to-market solutions. Our pipeline is really um, strong in that space. And, and that will be really important to our strategy of how we will grow internationally and just expand our footprint to more markets around the world. I think that would, I think it will be another year of, uh, of partnering in addition to rapid innovation in the core pillars that define who we are. So we're on an elevator ride and you're leading revenue markets and the like at Ring Central, and I'm the CEO of a company looking to make a decision here. Why should I choose Ring Central? What would you tell me? Assuming we already had the conversation that they knew what Ring Central was, but they were looking to make a decision, us versus our competitors, I would just tell them or her, tell him or her that we have a single easy to use platform for voice, video meetings, team messaging, and contact center. We'd under, that we understand the importance of security and data privacy, and we build our platform, understanding that the cost of downtime is so um, so critical to a company. And, and it's why we are the only company in our space with a five nines SLA. And I'd probably just remind uh, him or her that our position as a leader in the UCAS space is not our perspective alone. Gardner has had us in the farthest right position of the leader quadrant for UCAS for the last six years. I did not know that. That's amazing, actually. I would love to pivot here a little bit. As you know, this is the ultimate guide to partnering. You have yeah, a unique position. You do <laughs> love partnering and your background is such, I mean, you were the channel chief at Microsoft and you even before that intuitively led a business that partner was central to that business growth. 
So I'd love to peel back with you with, based on all of your experiences here at Ring Central and previously on what makes a great partner. What do you believe? What characteristics do you believe make a great partner? You know, the thing that sets partners apart that I've um, evangelized for quite some time is I think it starts with the ability to create unique and differentiated IP or capabilities that truly stand out in the market. Um, you know, every company that has a partner ecosystem, there's really like if I was to net it down to two things they're trying to achieve, it's reach. They're trying to reach more segments of the market that could be geo distribution or different countries in the world. It can be different customer segments and it's extending their own capability. It's recognizing that you can invent everything and that the assets and value uh, that other companies bring just enhances your solution and makes it more valuable to your customers. I know we want to enhance what we're capable of doing. We want to extend the extensive R&D we're putting into our product. So the best partners bring differentiated IP that either extends our platform or capabilities that help us reach markets, um, accelerate pipeline, help make customers raving fans of our, our platform. When partners um, really are clear about their differentiation and then excel through that capability, that's the best path to both getting a company to recognize your value add as well as to growing business in the market. So, you know, you discussed your strong partner pedigree and the work that you do to extend reach, to integrate solution sets. What do you look for in partners? What challenges do you believe that they might face working with you or just general in the marketplace? Yeah. And what, you know, I kind of answered what we look for in partners, which is that, you know, capability, you know, really extending and, and just enhancing what we can bring to the market ourselves. But the challenge that I think all companies face is keeping up with the pace of innovation. You know, do they truly have a learning culture? And the second part is not being afraid to reinvent themselves. Vince, when you and I were working together, we already talked about this earlier. We had so many partners that made a business out of installing and upgrading on-premise software. You know, this is a while ago, but we, we had partners that had to go from that core business model. And we had to show them how they could build a business around the cloud, that it was a great business opportunity, even as it cannibalized their old business. Interestingly, those, le those lessons are still true today. Um, transformation takes a long time. Every day you're cannibalizing something else as you're building something new. And I think that's the hardest thing is keeping up with the pace of innovation and reinventing yourself regularly with, you know, it's, and it's not a, always a wholesale reinvention. It's, it's bringing new lines of business, new lines of revenue in as the things that you used to do that filled, you know, that largely contributed to your P&L potentially become less valuable, commoditized, or even just not relevant. How do you show them the way? A couple of different things. I think one is helping them understand, you know, I think each company that has a partner ecosystem has a responsibility to say, here are the various ways that you can build a business, a profitable business off of our platform. Here is the potential areas. Here's what we're seeing in the market, the potential extensibility. So I think that's one part. I think sharing examples of partners in the ecosystem that have been successful. You know, most are willing, you know, they won't give away their their 
I'll call it very specific IP, but generally helping them understand how they have, how they've been successful is something they're generally willing to share. So we try to showcase a lot of the partners that have, have made the, the transformation. And, and candidly, some of it is bringing in new partners into your ecosystem that, you know, that really keep everybody fresh. Um, new companies coming in with new perspectives, you know, they become the competitors to others, but, but it pushes everybody along. That's what makes this market. That's what, what makes the innovation in the technology sector so rich is there's always somebody new coming in that's challenging the norm. And the companies that will succeed pay attention to that. So I'm a partner, and maybe I don't play in this space, or maybe I do. Why should I choose, or why would I want to partner with RingCentral? A couple of things is, one, we're first and foremost partner first at the core. So you, you know, one of the first questions I ask is, is partnering a side thing you do, or is it core to how you drive your business? And, and if I partner, am I always competing with you at some level or across the customer segments, am I going to have a chance to, uh, to be successful even when you have a direct sales force? And, and we check certainly both those boxes. The second thing is I look at, you know, are they willing to share some of uh, the profitability? This isn't a volunteer thing. And, and every company not only has to build first party capability, but also wants to know that you know, representing your product um, can help them be profitable. And I think we have a very compelling uh, partner program in terms of, of an opportunity to drive a profitable business off the sales, ring central solutions um, from small business all the way up through enterprise, not just in one segment, but across uh, our customer segments. I think the third is our pace of innovation. And it, it tells companies that, hey, if I bet and build a business practice around Ring Central, are they going to be there? I think our validation by Gardner and but more importantly, the relevant solutions that are coming out of the R&D we're investing in are showing partners that it's not just what we have today, but it's also what we're going to deliver in the future. And it's a good company to bet a business around. Sounds like a very compelling value proposition. I'm going to want to put some links in our show notes so that if partners want to reach out to your organization, they can do so, Phil. Thank you. So Phil, I'd love to pivot here. As you might know from listening to other episodes, I'm fascinated with how leaders got to this particular spot in their career. You've had an outstanding career, both at Microsoft and now at RingCentral. And I'd love for our listeners to learn a little bit about that journey. Can you share that with us? Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, look, I, I think I was r rare in my career. Uh, I joined Ring Central eight months ago, and I had to tell them that in 30 years, I'd been at two companies and over 20, almost 25 years at one. So that alone has, uh, you know, is somewhat unique in, in this industry. And, and I would say that in my career at Microsoft, because that was the last 25 years of it, so you can really just um, narrow the interesting discussion to that, is, uh, I, you know, I got this opportunity to do many different things. Broadening was very key um, to my career. I, I was an enterprise seller. I was a channel sales manager. I was a, I led, 
uh, a developer focused team in the sales organization that was focused on specialist, kind of a specialist sales organization. I was a general manager in a U.S. field. I ran sales operations nationally. I got to be a a country manager for one of the international subsidiaries for Microsoft. I got to be a global challenge chief. I mean, I just look at the the you know the number of things, and while they were all within sales and marketing, they were different in that they they all built different competencies and experiences. Was there a secret ingredient, a pivot point, or something that got you on the right track? Because you did have an amazing career at Microsoft. I got to witness that. Was there something that got you started or sparked you in that direction? That's a really good question. If I had to narrow it down, you know, as far as a pivot point, I, I'm going to hang on that word, that part of the question. There were probably so many points in my career that, you know, could have gone one way or another. But, you know, when I think of career acceleration, for me, there were two. The things that sometimes happen in career acceleration are this intersection of life and work. The first was moving away from the city that my wife and I grew up with, grew up in, and it was the first time we relocated, and that was a really big decision. And I'm not, you know, always encouraging that relocating for anything is necessary to have a growing and successful career. But it's certain open, it's certainly for us, you know, I, I call it team surgeon. It opened up for us this willingness to look at more things. And that alone led to my first, I'll call it accelerated opportunity. Cause I went from a job that, you know, it, like if you were to look at a career path, I skipped a step by get by doing that. And to in, to get that opportunity, I, I you know my wife and at the time it was just my wife and I, but it was a sacrifice uh, that we made. The second was the first job I took outside of the U.S. and I it had similar characteristics. It's a it's a big decision, you know. While for us it was moving to Canada. I often joke with people, it may just be to the north, but it's a sovereign nation with a different government system, its own currency, <laughs> uh, its own culture. Um, it's not that close. And if you're trying to move there and live there and immerse yourself in the culture of a country, and it was, a, it was an amazing experience, but it was one that my, you know, again, now Team Sorge and my wife, my daughter and I, we, you know, we had to decide, is, is this the right thing for the family? And it turned out to be another just amazing growth opportunity, personally and professionally. And, you know, so I look at these in terms of these opportunities, these kind of, you know, pivot points or seminal moments in a career that give you an opportunity to accelerate, give you an opportunity to go outside your comfort zone. And oftentimes going outside of your comfort zone is more than just the single job and its impact on you. It often affects people around you and certainly can potentially have an impact on your family. And I've always done that through the lens of family first. And, uh, you know, this is a team. And if it's not right for the whole team, then it's not the right step. Was there anything going outside of your comfort zone did to you from a psyche perspective? Did do you think it was it a forcing function for you to think and act differently? What, what do you think was the ingredient there? You know, I think I've always been generally comfort comfortable going out of a comfort zone. I've always had this mentality that growth only happened if you're continuing to push yourself into areas that you're not as comfortable in. So the, there is this, I'll say a little bit of confidence, but, but to not be overconfident, the thing that it forces you to do is be really thoughtful, really planful. Never believe that you have all the answers. You have to be willing, if you're going to really push yourself outside of your comfort zone, 
have mentors that, whether they're situational or longstanding, identify the people that are good at what you need to do and lean on those people. Be prideful in the fact that you have a network that's willing to help you and, and not prideful, uh, not, not hanging on the fact that you think you have to figure it out to demonstrate that you belong there. So, you know, go, I'll use the example of going to Microsoft Canada. I had really never done business in Canada. I knew Microsoft well. I knew enterprise. I knew channel. I'd run a sales ops function at that point in time. But I, there were many cities that I had physically, you know, never even been to. And, and certainly the people were all new. And you, it's easy to come in acting like you belong. I chose to come in humble, but confident and learn. And, you know, the first thing I said is I want to know about the people. I want to learn from the people that are here. And I'm confident that I will be able to demonstrate things that complement them and, and bring them on the journey. And uh, so, that's always been kind of my approach to entering new roles, whether they're as big as going to another country or, or they're just the, the next role within uh, your career. I love that, humble and confident. Like, I really, that actually speaks to you, Phil. I mean, I mean that in the most sincere way. You've talked about mentors here. Was there a best piece of advice? Was there a mentor or a mentoring approach that worked for you? And was there one particular mentor or... Was it a group of mentors? Can you tell us more about that? There's been a couple of mentors that I think stood out um, um, amongst many people I've learned so much from in the years. I've been so fortunate to to work around so many outstanding people that I think you picked up something from you know from every one of them. But maybe if there's one piece of advice in this area that we're talking about, it was to not focus on a job or a role but to focus on competencies and experiences that round out your career. And that's really important guidance to someone earlier in their career, because I think there's this tendency to always look up. What's the next job that's bigger in scope, that is a promotion that has a bigger title and a bigger organization? The, the fastest path up is potentially too narrow sometimes, and then you hit a wall. And I watched many people that have reached out to me for career advice over the years getting really close to that wall that, yeah, they've gotten to a pretty senior level, but their competencies and experiences are really narrow. And to get to that next step that is far more general management like they keep running up against competition for those next big jobs. And these people have a broader base of experience. And they ask me, how do you build experience? And I'm like, well, you should have asked me that five or 10 years ago, because I might have told you not to go up such a narrow pipe. And, but to keep looking at, you know, what are the competencies you need to build to fulfill the complete career over, uh, over 30, 35, however many, however, 40 years, however long you plan to work. And what are the experiences? And when you look at that, that's what makes you really competitive for the next thing. That's what makes people that are going to organizations or people that are going to hire you confident that you're going to be able to work through any situation known or unknown that you may face during the course of a role that you're in. Yeah. Many cases go across versus going up, right? Getting a set of skills or competencies that you to, to round out your, your career. Yep, definitely. So, yeah. So you have a billboard that can sum up your philosophy to the world. What would it say on it? Well, that's a really uh, tough one. I'm not the best at catchy slogans, but you know, I'm, I'm a pretty big believer that 
when you give a lot to others, when you take a more selfless view on on how you lead and how you engage others, that it gets paid back tenfold. And if there was anything that character that was my philosophy in life, whether it's personal in friendship or it's professional in work, it's to work hard. And by the way, I, I will be the first to say I've probably failed at this many times, but to work hard to think of how you, whatever you're trying to achieve, how you do it with others and, and maybe get others across the line even before you sometimes and, and how that ratio of give to get stays balanced, if not skewed towards give, because that's my belief in the, in the long run that it comes back in a significant way. So how would you sum that up on the billboard? <laughs> that's the, that's, what, that's a long billboard. That, don't I get to go hire somebody that gets to take that great idea and put it into a catchy slogan? <laughs> I, I think I heard give more than you get. I think there's a little bit of that. Yes, in there. I do, you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You're hosting a dinner party. And this is, you know, hopefully beyond the point. We're all vaccinated at this point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So you can invite people actually be in the room with you. You know, maybe they've got COVID tested beforehand and, and everything's everyone's safe. You can invite any three people from the present or the past to this dinner. Whom would you invite and why? You know, it's funny, Vince. I've been asked this question many times. It's, you know, it's an interesting uh, question. And I've noticed my answer kind of always changes with the time. So right now, I'd probably pick the Dalai Lama. Nelson Mandela and Bill Gates. And the reason I would, on the first, th there's a couple of characteristics I'd, I'd throw out there. One is I think it's, we're at a time where I think we really need to work hard as a, as a world on understanding others, looking cross culture and really having hope. And, and Dalai Lama, Nelson Mandela, they were incredibly spiritual. They were incredibly hopeful, had a humanist view of the world. Still, Dalai Lama does, Nelson Mandela did. You know, I, I look at both of those and, and say, what amazing, hopeful, spiritual, and the world needs a bit of that. And then I threw in Bill Gates in there because I'm bringing science into the discussion. And he's such an incredibly, you know, he's not a... His the interest I have in him is he's so read on so many topics and the things he's doing with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation are, are just so appropriate for the time. So I think that would be a pretty amazing um, trio at a dinner party. It sounds like the Dalai Lama, Nelson Mandela, who overcame such adversity, right? I mean, 26 years in prison and came out with an optimism and wanted to heal the nation. So just like his approach was amazing. And of course, Bill. I mean, I agree. I was just reading some things about Bill and Melinda and the work that they're doing last night. And I'm continually just inspired by all of the work he does. So I, I'd love to join you for the dinner. Maybe I could I could come in for a drink before or after. How's that? And I said, and Vince. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. I love it. <laughs> quite a group. It's quite a group. And I know you've met Bill before. So, yes. you know, it's just it's an amazing man. So you have been an amazing guest, Phil. I'm so excited to have you. I'm so excited for what you're doing now at Ring Central. And as friends, just really the great opportunity to connect today. Is there any closing comments or advice you have for our listeners today? You know, I just want to thank you for hosting me. It's I think of our 
connection has been amazing as professionals in the industry. And I think it goes beyond that. I, I think you're an amazing human being and I'm honored to be your friend. And I would just say, like, I think this is a great set of topics for the times. Um, you know, we touched on digital transformation and and there's such an opportunity to help companies succeed. And, you know, we touched that we use the word companies a lot. I, I don't, I want to emphasize that this is a time when nonprofits and educational institutions that are so important to our future that are challenged during this, especially during this pandemic, they certainly benefit uh, from these capabilities. We talked about partnerships and, and they're more important than ever. And thank you for the interesting questions on, on my personal professional journey. I, I think those are, you know, if, if there's any tidbit of, of value that came out of that for any of your listeners, um, I'm happy to provide that. So uh, it's been great to be on here and, uh, and it's great reconnecting with you. Same here, Phil. Thank you so much. Appreciate you joining today. Thanks, Vince. As with each of my episodes, I appreciate your support. Please subscribe on your favorite platform, like, comment, tell your friends about Ultimate Guide to Partnering and where they can find us. And I'd love your feedback. Please like the podcast and provide comments or reach out to me at Vince Menzione on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also like and follow Ultimate Guide to Partnering on our Facebook page or drop me a line at vincem at ultimate-partnerships.com. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Ultimate Partnerships. Ultimate Partnerships helps you get the most results from your partnerships. Get partnerships right, optimize for success, deliver results. For more information, go to ultimate-partnerships.com. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Ultimate Guide to Partnering with your host, Vince Minzione. Online at ultimateguidetopartnering.com and facebook.com slash ultimateguidetopartnering. We'll catch you next time on The Ultimate Guide to Partnering.